The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Thank you. 
chapter 2, let's join the story. When Jesus returned to Canaan, this is in Galilee, so the northern part of Israel, several days later, he had a ministry tour, he preached in the community, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Notice he was at home. This is where he lived. Perhaps the story will take a little bit of a different turn, a bit different turn for us as we better mark. Soon the house was too. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. And he was preaching God's word to them four men alive carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Probably know this story, right? If you have Sunday school, you probably know the story anyway. Verse 4. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. We know that um, most of the houses at that time were still in many places in the Middle East. They were flat roofs, right? Because in the afternoon you want to go upstairs and sit on top of the roof to enjoy the evening breeze and just be in the cool of the day. So, uh, and the, the, the roof was often made just with poles and uh, then they covered it with some sort of covering and then put some clay on it, but it was strong enough for you to walk on it. So they dug through this roof. Verse 5. Seeing their face, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. And one thing sort of come in see, because people sort of start out in a little bit of a lighthearted manner. Remember, this is a house, probably Jesus' house. This is where he lived. How would you feel if somebody dug through your roof? I let somebody down in front of you. I think this may personally happen, but it means many different things. Jesus, almost in a way, went, Oh, well, I forgive you for digging through my roof. But people, but very quickly, they went much further because in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew doesn't even talk about the roof, he doesn't talk about the house. But he talks about this moment when, when Jesus encounters this man, and Jesus says to this man, Your sins are forgiven. Notice that um, his four mates had brought him there. There's some sort of relationship that, that they cared for him. And my job this morning is to bring you, like these four mates, bring you to Jesus and for you to encounter Jesus this morning. But notice that they cared for him enough to bring him. Perhaps he got paralyzed in some accident that, that, that they're hanging about it. Sea of Galilee. This is right on the Sea of Galilee. I've got a, a cousin who lives in Australia now. He's a, he's a, of course, a big man. He's a big man. And uh, he loved the outdoors and loved sport. He's a really good rugby player and loved rock climbing. And they were fooling around on, on a windsurfer at a lake. And, and he was fooling around and he dived at the windsurfer and hit his head on the rock. And he's paralyzed. He's a quadriplegic. Perhaps there's some sort of accident that his friends are fooling around or something happened to their mouth. But they cared enough to bring him to Jesus. They cared enough to actually go to the trouble to dig through the roof of this house where Jesus was staying. They cared enough to, I guess, to, to bear the brunt of the indignation of others, thinking, you know, as the stuff is falling on people that are in the house. And that's what they say, you know, stop doing that. I, you know, we want to listen to Jesus or whatever they would have caught. From those in the house. Think about what this man needed. 
And Jesus says to him, instead of get up, rise up and walk, this is the same story that happens. He says to him, he sees the person's deeper needs. He says he sees All those regrets you have, the poor decisions, the things that you've done, Jesus looks at this person and knows what the person really needs. Some wonder, as you said, I'm going to say, 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 What's your concerns? What's your regrets? Perhaps he wants to look into your heart and heart. He's in the business of being. I believe he wants to encounter you as we sang that song. He encounters us through his word, he encounters us through the Holy Spirit. You think this morning, you see this my friend, you'd have to have gone to the temple in Jerusalem for him to deal with his sin. If you were able to go and you felt that you had transgressed and sinned against God, there was a way of, of, of dealing with your sin. You had to go to Jerusalem. You had, to, you had to buy an animal and sacrifice. And once a year, there was this day called Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, which this year is on the 25th of September. Once a year, the high priest would make atonement for his own sin to sacrifice the goat, and then they would choose two goats. And they would sacrifice the one goat. And, and before God, to make this appeasement, this at one minute with God, but the other God they would pick, and, they would, and the priest would lay his hands on this, on the head of his God, and the priest would basically put the seal of the nation on the scapegoat, this is the scapegoat, put his, put his hands on this and, and transfer the sins of the nation, people figuratively could work into this, this is an atmospheric land, and, and then send the God out into the wilderness, it would be sent off. Jesus uses that word. Your sins are forgiven. The word means to, I'm going to send them off. I'm going to send them away. I'm going to deal with them in a way that no longer can lay hold of your heart, cause those regrets. You see, friends, I want to say this morning, and you'll see as I develop this point through, that Jesus is and brings good news. Because it changes your guilt. Shame and fear. But really, honor and power. The power may seem like an outlet. I'm going to go for it. It is power that we require to live this Christian life. Jesus is and brings good news because it changes your guilt, shame, and fear for purity. I don't know about you, but I would love that for this one. Purity, honor, and power. If some of the teachers of religious law, verses 6 and 7 in Mark 2, were sitting there, they thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. These teachers of the law call the squads and Maybe some of the other gospels of the Pharisees as well, they were also religious leaders. These scribes, they come up with 613 laws, okay? 
this is how we're going to get life with God. This is how we're going to sort of work out that, that, we, that God likes us and God's not the rectangle of God. The 613 laws that they came up with, 365 of them were negative. You should not do this, you should not do that. Think about that. Every day you wrote that book, went to a promise box and picked out a promise and it was a law around what you were not allowed to do. There's one for every day, just about 365. You can do the math and see the world for the positive things. 613 laws. I'm wondering nobody could keep clear with that. I wonder everybody felt that the guilt. How am I supposed to come to God, know that God accepts me and, 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 and that I'm okay with God, that I'm at one with God, with the 613 of these laws that no one, except for Jesus, they didn't know about, could keep? They spent their time, friends, thinking about the minutiae of the law, making it very hard for people to actually live their life in freedom and they would debate, for example, how many angels could dance on the tip of a needle. So that is a really important discussion for the day. That's how they spent their time thinking about it, but making it really hard for other people to follow Jesus. You see, friends, what had happened, this, new, this nation that had been given the beautiful Word of God, the Old Testament, and had the law, they had somehow made an idol out of it. It had got in the way Jesus is. Tim Keller, the argument, and so with many other Christian writers, that we love to build idols ourselves. Idols are things that we worship. It's a counterfeit God. It's something that would be so central to my life and your life that if we had to lose it, our lives would be shattered. This is not worth You see, friends, God has created all of us to worship something. We have this worship center to get our heart. And Jesus speaks about this in a moment. We want to worship something. I think we speak to most people in the West and we would say, well, we are idol worshipers and we go, hmm, idols are those little golden things that you have in your house. But no, idols are the things we choose to put in the place of God. In the place where only God should be. What is an idol? Can tell us this. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Of course, we can come up with some thoughts about that. So, idols could be money, power, sex. Yes, but idols can also be good things, like family, like your reputation, your health, like the things you believe, the things you hold dear. I'm struck by the thought that very often we read about the revivals, the history of revivals. The people who stopped revivals happening were the people who said, no, this can't be from God. It doesn't fit like that. It was the religious leaders, the religious people, the people filled with religiosity that stopped the work of God in the past. It's a frightening thought. If God had to move and God had to begin to change 
that the place where you're looking at is saying, no, no, God, hold on. You're not allowed to do that. Because the way I understand things, this is not fair. Here, Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting in this house. And people said to themselves, this person is going to pass through. The other thought they could have had was, hmm, maybe this is God. Throughout the Old Testament, we've been promised that God will one day come through Israel, through Jerusalem, and rule and reign from Mount Zion. Perhaps they thought paradigms should have gone to God and gone, hmm, maybe I should sit up and take notice. I don't think I did. The Pharisees, for example, for them, their, their idol was how important they were and how much prestige they had. And, and in fact, they were worried about that being taken away from them. And Jesus, when he came along, he said, I'm the king of kings. And Julius Caesar would have figured this, would have heard about it and, and taken away the privilege and rights. So Jesus, the Son of God, is sitting in your presence. Of course, hold on, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus asks his point of questions, points to his thoughts to you and I, and he asks this question to my heart. It's my heart. Why do you think that? Why do you question this in your heart? Why do you think that way? When he asks him this question, which on one level is easy to answer, he says, is it easier to say, Oh, for the paralyzed man, see the sins are forgiven, or the store, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. What's easier to say? So, verse 10, I will prove to you that the Son of Man, this is a prophecy from Daniel chapter 7, you can go and read it for yourself, that the Son of Man has authority. The word authority is a legal term, it's a term which goes, I have had the right to cancel this debt, or I have the power. Friends, Jesus will come and question our hearts and will be these layers to it. But if we actually had to understand how difficult it would be for him to say the sins of God, see the cross, friends, for us is the way that that happened. Jesus knew that he would have to die to say the sins of God. He knew he'd been delegated from the Father to, to walk this earth and teach about the Father and teach about the kingdom of God and, and usher in the kingdom of God, but he knew that it was going to happen by his death on the cross. At 
people out there in the world would go, well, what's the thing about people who Jesus being killed at the cross? I mean, why would a loving God kill his own son? Why would you do that? Well, it's because we don't understand what sin is. Sin is a gift. It's like if you, if you, if you, your neighbor reverses out of his driveway and then he hits your fence and knocks your fence down, right? If you're a good neighbor, you go to your friend in, in lockdown or the neighbor locked down in the wall, you can say to your neighbor, I forgive you. But it's not a cost. Cost is to Your wall has been locked down. Somebody's going to have to pay for that. Or if somebody harms you emotionally, or says something to you, does something to you, or demeans you, or abuses you, if you say to that person, I forgive you, there is still a cost to you. This is one thing you can do when somebody harms you, you can hold a grudge, you can, you can wish that they would, you know, that they would find justice, and, and there would be justice, and that they would, there would be vengeance, and that they would, that they would be harmed. You can wish that, that's one choice you have. The other choice is to say, I forgive you. But there's a cost to you. When Jesus says, I forgive you, to me, there will be a cost to him. It was harder in one way to say, I forgive you. Let's go put it this way. You see, the essence of sin is we as human beings substituting ourselves for God. In other words, we wanted to be like God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting Himself for us. We put ourselves only where only God deserves to be. God puts Himself where only we deserve We deserve the punishment. We go through this. We receive that in our heart when we make poor decisions of sin. We receive in our hearts the guilt, the shame, the fear. We receive that. There's a cost. But God puts himself in that place and takes that on him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 21 that God, like the Father, made him Jesus. Who knew who had no sin, the perfect Son of God, to be sin for us. Is this that great idea? Our sin was transferred unto Him, was, was in our hands, and He was put onto Jesus. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of Everything that God created you to be, righteous. There's a way, friends, that Jesus deals with our sin on different levels. And I thought I might just show you this because I know that people from different cultures sitting here. In the West, we understand the law of justice. We understand the, the, this, this thing about what is right and what is wrong. So in the West, we feel guilt and we need forgiveness, we need purity. 
something we know very clearly. We know that when the politicians do wrong, we expect them to own up and say, I was wrong. Then we fix it. That's a lesson we In Asia, and in the Middle East, it's more about relationships, and so the thing about the working group is important. So the issue is about dealing with the sun. In South America and in Africa, where I'm from, it's more around fear. We believe in the spirit world. We believe it's powerful. We believe we have to we have to manage that. We need something to help you with the fear, so you need power. Jesus says he has power. It's a similar word to quite a lot, but he has this authority. He has the authority to say to the devil, get lost. Stop bothering me. You have the authority to say to the devil, get lost. Stop bothering me. You have that authority. So I say, Jesus, which brings good news because the exchanges are good, are shame, and are fear. The purity That's what he did to this man. This man jumped up. He was honored. He's been looking about it. I don't know his name. But he was honored. His fears were set free. The fear of how am I going to manage this life? Set free. He's good that he felt. Then this morning, as we put this into practice, I want to encourage you first if you've never done this to receive God's complete forgiveness of Jesus Christ. There's no buts here. There's no buts. If Jesus only knew what I was thinking even now, or if Jesus only knew what I did yesterday, he wouldn't like me. He wouldn't love me. There's no buts in the kingdom of God. Jesus knows me. He knows me. He knows my heart. He sees my intent. He sees what I can't even see about myself. But he says, yet I forgive you. I traded places with you. I went to the cross for you. I've taken the place. And friends, as we reach out simply in faith to say, by faith I accept this. Make it my own. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ in what you do. On the cross, the Bible says somehow mysteriously, you are transformed. You are made to be part of the best things. Simply by trusting, simply by acknowledging. Secondly, friends, I want to this morning for those of you who are more mature Christians, expect that Jesus Christ will deconstruct your idols. And if you don't think you have an idol, perhaps that's the idol you have. But you think you have it all figured out. These religious leaders sitting there saying, you've got this figured out. This can't be the Son of God. Peter, by the way, was asked, what does he think the idols of the Western church were? And he picked out various things. But he would say, for our type of tradition, for our type of, the, the type of mainline theology we have, he says, our theology is often a Bible thing. We think we know everything about God. We think we know how it should work. We think we have everything right, and so we ostracize those who don't seem to be needed. 
responding in order to see Jesus. Howard is another rival for other churches that are unknown names, but you would think about your godly people. Expect Jesus by praying this morning to deconstruct the right. What is the relentless work of the Holy Spirit to shape you to be more like Jesus? And what is standing in the way of me becoming more like Jesus is my life. It's the thing I don't want to let go of. It's the thing I hold on to for security. It's the thing that gives me hope that if that were taken away, I would go in. My life is shattered and broken. Expect Jesus to do the job. Thirdly, God encourages us to pray for Australia. For Australians to see Jesus as he really is. Not some good teacher, not some person who, you know, perhaps has got some great thinking and the right of the, the, the golden rule, those are good things, the right Jesus. But you see him really as he is, the Son of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who takes away our regrets, who really is the power of God. Why don't we see the power of God move from Australia? Why are we not seeing it? Why does God choose not to use His power here? I suspect that if He does use and move by power, He would make God an idol. And so I'm thinking He's going, I'm not going to trust you with that. Things we should be careful about happening here. Asking God to move in revival. We've never really had a revival in Australia. For Australians to see Jesus as he really is. That he is the forgiver of his sin. The removal of his son. The one who deals with our pain. Such as him. Let's pray right now. For our country, let's pray right now for you as we come to the Lord. But thank you. Thank you that you lived this world. What a house. What a house you lived in. Just float around. Maybe that was your roof that got blown through. Who knows? But thank you that you came and you lived among us. That you see our hearts. You see our deepest need. Even now, as we sit here, you see our deepest need. You see our hearts. You see our thoughts. You see the things we hold on to for happiness. You see, Lord, why we're not happy. Why do we like joy? You see, we're an idol. We confess our idols. We ask you to make us better. Don't you die to remove that idol? Help us not hold on. Help us to see you, who you are. Help us to see you, Lord, that you take. Deal with the Lord, you take away our fear. You deal with our heart, Lord, you take away our shame, and you restore us into relationship with you and with others. You take away our fear, God, you remove us from the kingdom of darkness. Give us the kingdom of darkness. So, Lord, this morning as we pray, take away our fear of sin, of death, of the devil. Take away, Lord, our fear of man and what they think about us. Take away our doubts. And that you be governing. We pray for our country, Lord. 
to pray, Lord, for a relief and a revival and a return to you. A hunger for you, God. How we as Christians will demonstrate what it means to live with the good news of Jesus. How we be gracious and filled with compassion like Jesus. How we be people of love and compassion and hope and joy and yes and power to God. Give us power to live this way. Give us hope to God. Give us a gift. I this morning, perhaps there's someone here, and I'm praying for you. Somebody who's never ever taken that step to say, Lord, I'm having come to you for the first time. You see my heart. But you don't reject me. You kind of think, You've died for me, and the person, Lord, is seeing that for the first time. I pray, Lord, that as they respond to you in Christ, they will be saved. There will be celebration in heaven and on earth. Let's keep it. So we worship you now, we give you thanks and praise. Lord, we do go with us, strengthen us, fill us in Jesus' name. If I'm going to say this morning, if that's the first time you've heard about Jesus and his encounter to you, it's a time for celebration. It's a time for joy. I encourage you to tell somebody about it. And tell me, tell Mark, tell your friend. It's a time of celebration that you have seen what Jesus has done for you. So if that's your first step this morning, it's such a profound step. Would you let others know that God bless you this Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.